Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Anime House. Uh, here is Nikhil, as usual, and co-host Francisco. Uh, we're back with another episode, an episode we're actually super excited about because we've been wanting to do this episode for the better part of a month, I think, at least. Uh, it's been in the conversations for at least a month, and we're really excited about it. This episode is kind of unique because we're not going to be talking about anime as we usually do. In this case, we're going to be talking about a cartoon, actually, on Cartoon Network from the creators of Regular Show. We're going to be talking about Infinity Train, which is currently on HBO Max. Um, it's it's honestly a great, great, great show. And we wanted to expand a little more outside of the realm of anime um, into animation as a whole. And we figured a really good introduction to that would be Infinity Train. Don't worry, we'll be talking about anime here pretty soon in our next episode, so... Don't worry about that. This is just a uh, side episode for anyone who's a fan of animation, cartoons, and the like. And especially for someone who's grown up with Cartoon Network and who loves animation or animated shows. The Infinity Train was a really, really good show to watch for that reason, if anything. So, yeah. I think, Francisco, do you want to take it away? Yeah, I guess I can probably mention a few things. Uh, I, I, I did want to like mention it because... Infinity Train, when I watched it like six months ago, back when book three actually aired, when it was just started to air. And like we are, we have, you know, at the recording of this podcast, book four has dropped. So I finished it earlier this morning. Unfortunately, Nikhil didn't have that opportunity. He was busy, but he has gotten like halfway into book four. But I mean, outside of that, yeah, I agree with you, Nikhil. It's, it's an amazing show. I'm very excited to watch it. And there's like a lot that we can just talk about within the, um, within the three first seasons like just on the get-go so it's not like we're, we're like missing content all we gotta say i guess um in the moment we can probably like address the current production or state of infinity train yeah i think we'll start with that um as a disclaimer before we continue as usual with a lot of character driven narratives and shows you can honestly dissect each character to almost their f- fullest extent and we can honestly do an episode just on singular characters so in this case and in this episode, it'll be a more broad overview of, the sh- of what we think of the show and themes and motifs and ideas that we really resonate with. Um, this will be changed uh, or this can be expanded on if, you, if uh, people want to know more about it or are interested to hear more of our opinions on certain characters. But I think for this episode, we'll be, our focus will be more on a broad overview. So just an FYI or heads up before we continue. Yeah, for sure. And I guess this is a good good time as always is it, is it owen what what's the creators the showrunner's name uh I, I know he uh co-created or co-worked on regular show at some point which is like a big show that i liked growing up so i'm a huge fan of it um there's a lot of uh there's a lot of similarities to both uh regular show and adventure time for those of you who have watched them either growing up or recently uh really really great really really great shows on cartoon network uh, Owen Dennis. Yeah, Owen. I was thinking Owen Wilson, and I knew that was incorrect because I was <laughs> like, Wilson nah, not an actor. <laughs> yeah, so this person was involved with regular show, but um, so there's only ever going to be, as far as just don't even, only gonna be four seasons of an Infinity Train. It didn't finish the story, or I mean, like it's an anthology series, right? So every single book focuses on different themes and different characters, and you just follows them through. And it just introduces you to the premise of this idea of what, of an ever-expanding adventure story, kind of. Like, think of stuff like Tower of God, Made in Abyss, um, One Piece. But 
it has more things in common with Tower of God and Made in Abyss, in which that the characters are actually like exploring a, a place. And the premise is actually insanely genius, pretty much. You get like these people, and like I think book one had more of a mystery situation going for it, especially because you know this is the introduction to the series. So like, and it was really smart on how they actually did it, and because later on, as like the entire system is being developed, you learn why someone was just dragged into here without any prior or like no decent introduction to like what is going on right and i guess um tulip is the protagonist of season one i think we're trying going from like season one and onwards and probably later at the end or maybe you can even realize like which one you know between me and omniku um, which ones we prefer or which ones we how we rank them or how we consider them our favorites because they can hit differently for a bunch of different people for like the fact that you have different writers involved and they really put their all into this into the series but yes, there's only going to be four books of Infinity Train. There was a lot more ideas behind Infinity Train that they weren't able to actually, you know, get around to, you know, delving into. In particular, probably the fact that I feel that Amelia in inherently, like, her story isn't done yet. And we see a bit of Amelia in, like, season one, season two, season three, and season four. Like, this is, like, the character that, like, progressively returns to the series. And you follow, like, their actions, like, how their actions had, like, repercussions to the train. Um, they, I would say the this this particular character, Amelia, isn't necessarily... I, I would put them more, like, chaotic neutral if I had to, like, categorize how they align with their morality and spectrum. Um, would you agree with that? Like, they don't do things inherently out of malicious intent or, like, malignant. Um, it's just that they have an objective and, like... What happens, happens, and people get hurt during, you know, whatever they're trying to do. It's like, oh, well, that happened, I guess. And it's these, like, it's the Amelia's involvement within Infinity Train that, like, leads to a lot of these um, butterfly effects for seasons to come. And I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of things going for it. And I, I would personally like to talk about similarities with Tower of made in Abyss, but I think um, I'll let Nikhil probably, I mean, I, I want to, like, put it out there that there, even though that there's four seasons it's an anthology series and it's like each one of them just hits differently and it's if okay Nikhil I have heavy I because like sometimes I fantasize about maybe like writing a story myself and I look at Infinity Train I think damn what could have been right because like they've only had banger seasons and like I feel a bit it's like bittersweet about it because I know that if I would be involved in the team I would be able to just leave that team knowing that I like did something insane I, I i mean i look at the series and i think this is exactly what a good writing is all about and no one involved with the show should like feel any level of shame for what what they were able to accomplish given only four seasons uh what's your opinions on the fact that i this is there's going to be no infinity train afterwards i think to begin um the creator uh, of infinity train said that he actually wanted eight seasons because eight represented like infinity so in his eyes like he he was writing the intention was to finish the show on the eighth season so we were only halfway at this point so obviously it was going to be like a rough and abrupt ending here i haven't finished the fourth season at the time of recording however i most likely will be in the coming few hours so very likely i'll be finishing the show uh, very soon and as such i don't i don't know i can't say how i feel based on what's going to happen in the fourth season whether i'll feel very satisfied or not that's really up to like i think at the end of the day how i'm how i'll think about it i know the creator of infinity train also said that 
he's very open to continuing the show if the writers want to come back. Unfortunately, many of the writers and the creators of the show left for other projects. So it's very undetermined or it's very TBD indefinitely, basically, if they're ever going to continue the show or not. But hopefully it'll gain traction down the line. It'll come back. I mean, we've seen this happen with like literally the most random shows in like Clone High that got like it does getting a reboot or like Total Drama Island was getting a reboot. So Infinity Train getting another four seasons is still very possible to me. I just think it won't happen for some time. And that as much as that sucks, I think the four seasons we were given were some really, really, really good television. Um, really good writing and really good emotional punch, I think, more so than anything. I think we see that in uh, in season three specifically, which is my favorite season. Um, I know Francisco mentioned this, but like in each season, I think it strikes differently for each person and each person sees it in a different way or different light. For me, season three was that season for me. Uh, it was really hard hitting. It was really emotional uh, and it was kind of crazy. Season one as well. And to me, it's like so far, it's season three, season one, season four, season two. I don't, and that, I'm, not, I'm not bashing any of the lower seasons there by any, by any means. Because in a show where every season packs a punch, say, there's no bad seasons. But it's more like personal preference of what seasons I enjoyed more than others. And that was for me, or show or seasons that I connected with more than others. And that for me, that's my order. Um, but in terms of more what's to come, uh, I don't, I can't say, I can't say yet. And I don't, as much as I'm going to be bummed that it's, uh, that it's going to end on season four, supposedly, I'm also hopeful that people will recognize the show for what it is because I feel like it's massively underrated right now and it's only a matter of time till it really like takes off completely and when that happens I feel like people will really like be like whoa like we need more seasons and I think it'll happen I just think that'll take time so I'm hopeful if anything yeah I mean it's the people involved with the production sometimes it's all it's all about like trying to like, get a market get money and then often when they were just when you know I remember reading that when Cartoon Network in particular, they have a, a demographic in mind, right? And Infinity Train doesn't fit that mold um, traditionally. It fits, it's a very emotionally mature show. It doesn't, not once has it, do I feel like it's um, undermining the viewer's um, intelligence. Like, there's a couple of like, meh, meh dialogue, but then there's like insane dialogue. You, you can still see that it's like trying to get, trying to get the attention of like younger folks, right? I mean, the animation style is right there. It's pretty. It's pretty solid. I, mean, I don't think it's bad at, at all, but I, I do see that it's, it looks like a traditional cartoon, something that you might just put up for your children. But um, and I, I look at this cartoon, and I think this is this is one of those cartoons that if you grew up with it, it would be insane. Like, I mean, I know I know I'm pretty old, so I, I watch things on cable. So like my affection for cartoons in general is a lot more intimate than I would imagine some of the newer folks, newer generation. Um, it ha might have something to do with the fact that we needed to wait a bit. We needed to like go on specific like times the day to look into it but that's like a bunch of like old boomer stuff but, but this is i mean yeah it's, it's i'm not gonna deny that that's very old-fashioned way of thinking like oh that's why i had a, such an intimate level but um there, there, there's probably something there but i mean it, it goes to show like when i think of binging something which i do think if you want to watch a show appropriately and like respect it 
or like respect um, the pacing that the authors or the creators wanted you to have, you would binge it. There are, of course, exceptions, right? I mean, Nikhil can probably mention some just weekly shows, but it inherently uh, a caveat of like binging something often is that once you finish it, you're thinking and you're, you try to reminisce and you're just sitting there thinking, I don't even remember some of the characters' names. So that kind of that kind of sucks. Something that helps with that, of course, is talking with people and whatnot. I mean, and reading articles. But what I'm trying to say it's about the show is that um, I was thinking about the demographic and and why, at the moment, they probably like cancel the show is because it doesn't fit into a, a general demographic of um, what you know production studios want. Something else that I, I kind of want to mention, just is like off topic, but um, I'm not too sure if the creator even has the copyright for the show anymore. <laughs> Uh, something that's very common, especially in the publishing industry, like, for example, if you're writing a book, you, and it's it's super common, but I don't like it, but it's very predatory, I feel, is that when you're writing something, you give your copyright to that publishing company for them to just publish your books. That's a, a very common deal. Um, so when that happens, if, once you get, like, kicked, you can't continue writing the story afterwards because they own the copyright for the most case. So at this moment, I'm not too sure if um, Owen or, you know, the people involved with Infinity Train can probably create the thing afterwards. And this is like a bunch of legal stuff that's probably happening behind the table. We don't know like what the future can hold. But that's just something I wanted to mention in case folks just weren't aware, like why, you know, why people cannot just like pick up a show after it finishes airing in a specific place. It's just it might be because they just don't technically own that creative work anymore. Which is part of the, you know, it's part of the um, the nature of the beast, right? If you just want to, if you want to create something for people, there's some sacrifices you have to make. In this case, there's a lot of money involved with the with some with some creative works, and sometimes you just have to give out the entire rights of your baby, pretty much to people to make sure that others can see it. Uh, but that's a that's something that can that can be a reason that that might be holding back the show from you know continuing on. Cartoon Network might own it, or we don't know who technically owns it. Uh, I mean, but there's always hope. Like Samurai Jack came back, right? I mean, that that that's huge. Let's not forget that. Maybe one day we, I would I would like to make a Samurai Jack one if you're interested in. But that's uh, that's talk for later. I guess at, at this moment we can probably move on. I'm I'm okay. You know, I did mention going from book one and onwards, but I'm okay just doing book three if you just want to go straight straight into it. Oh, we'll start at book one. I have a lot to talk about for book three, so when we get there, we'll get there. But book one, I think, also hit pretty hard for me. And that's why I think when I was mentioning it to you, I said uh, book three and book one were like almost tied for first place for me or they were like up there in terms of quality because I feel like they were super, super similar. Um, but yeah, we can we can dive right into book one. So if you want to get started with that, go ahead. Yeah, book one pretty much introduces us to the train itself. Um, and it follows Tulip, which is like, she 14? I mean, she's in her teens, right? Yeah, she's like 13, 14. She's yeah. really young. Yeah, definitely. But like, I guess... I guess we can probably, I mean, this is going to be spoilers for, like, book one, technically, because it's oh, the mystery part. We should probably say that before we continue. Um, There's going to be some spoilers for the next few seasons as we discuss it. So if you haven't watched it, once again, as usual, please watch the show before you listen to our podcast. However, if you already know what happens, you're not interested, you don't care about spoilers, or you've watched the show already, please continue. We'd love to have you here. That's right. So book one. It's a it's a mystery. It's a mystery season. You're trying to figure out what the train is in a as you're going through it with Tulip, right? 
you have this glowing number on in your hand. It's always in your hand, right? As far as always, I, always on the palm. Yeah, always in the palm. But it's it can spread to your entire body the more numbers you accumulate. That's really important for season three. Yeah, it's very it's very huge. It's a very meta meta kind of um symbol that that is placed from by the authors into these people, and you can. Because the numbers themselves, once you reach zero, that's your ticket out, right? And um, season one goes through the process of be- it being a mystery series with with um, Tulip and then her companion being one one, um, and then them trying to figure out how do I get in contact with the administration or the conductor of the train to just ask him, hey, can I leave? I need to go back, right? And I guess we can probably start with the fact that um, Tulip is a uh, part of a. Uh... You know, the show's this was pretty great because like. Tulip starts with a kind of a broken. It's not entirely broken yet. If anything, the her parents are trying to save the love of their family by getting a divorce, right? And Tulip is just there, seeing that they're not in love anymore, or they're not. They're probably gonna separate. But the parents are very mature about this entire process, and they understand that. And this is a very important lesson to teach to, to just anyone in general: right? that um, a divorce isn't a bad sign of a marriage. If anything, it might. It can, it, it can, I can see it lean positive, can be neutral. It really depends on how the people themselves work through it. But sometimes the divorce might be a better route for the, for the, for the benefit of not, you know, of the people involved and in particular, maybe even the children. It's just very important how you address it afterwards, right? And how much affection you might be able to give your children. Um, it's a lot better than just having to just live with someone that, and this is the case for the parents of Tulip, right? Well, they used to be best friends and they, you know, they fell in love. They had a kid and they had a pretty solid marriage for probably, I would imagine, a couple of years. Eventually it got to a point where just they can't, you know, work as, as they used to before. So I think, I believe Tulip has like, that's her background, right? With her parents situation where it's really awkward, especially because, you know, she's a uh, adolescent. She's going, you know, she's getting to the point where, you know, she's starting to, she understands what's going on pretty, pretty well. She's not. She's not, I mean, she's a lot smarter than I was when I was her age. One of the things that she's really into is programming. And actually, a uh, reason why she ended up going to the train is because I believe one of her parents couldn't take her to the train to take her to the programming camp. So what she tried doing, which was not very smart and was very emotionally driven, was that she was going to get her ticket and she was going to take a train to go to her programming camp because, you know, that's something that provides her a sense of worth and, like, you know, it's a lot of fun for her, pretty much just programming, and it gets away from her parents. And she would imagine that her parents would be pretty supportive about this, but you know, things happen, and sometimes her parents couldn't take her. Which I, I, it was really, I mean, if I was her parents, I would feel awful for the fact that I just ruined this opportunity for my, for my kid. But you know, we don't know, we don't know their opinions. But she, she gets a ticket, she leaves her house, and then she goes, and then she, she answers a train because well, she's been walking for a while. She might be hallucinating or whatever. Maybe she thinks it's a train that she needs to get on, uh, but it was the Infinity Train. So she gets on there, and then the first thing that she's she's there, she's like bedazzled, and then she sees a a portal in a different cart, and it's like sucking su- sucking a passenger out, and it looks like the passenger just got decimated and just deleted out of existence. So she's like, okay, so you can die from that beam, or that's how it looked like, right? And this goes back to the mystery aspect of the of the uh, of the show because no one's there to explain what the hell's going on. She has to make a bunch of deductions from what's going from what, what what is happening one of the things that happens is that the number increases or decreases and she has no idea what that means and it's very difficult to deduce like what the number like reflects we're we're we get a lot more into like what happens as we get close to the end of season one 
or maybe at the end of season two. Season two explores the trains lower a bit more. But now that I'm actually going into it, I'm really I'm really spending a good amount of time just like trying to set up the characters. And I think it might. I mean, we're like a close to the 20 minute mark, so we, I, I might need to condense like what I want to say. But uh, I guess now that I I give that out, maybe Nikhil can mention a bit of the characters that are a part of um Tulip's crew. So you have one one uh the false conductor uh as said in seasons two and three but the actual conductor of the show he was always portrayed as very obvious that he was kind of like a really important role i kind of figured he was going to be the conductor pretty much after episode one i had a very very strong feeling that he was very very important i just didn't know how again season one was very focused on this idea of kind of build and then you had the corgi which is obviously the cutest character but the corgi was kind of cool um because his interaction with the uh, turtles was kind of important, uh, which I'll get to in a bit. But the first season was really an introduction to the train and the Infinity Train, what it was all about, and what the idea and the concepts were behind the Infinity Train as a whole. And it was a really good introduction, too, because ev- like every time we saw something happen, we were kind of learning right alongside Tulip. Like We were never kind of left in the dark, nor were we ever left in the... like oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. Like, we never knew. And I really appreciated the first season for that because it left, like, an air of mystery almost where we were able to kind of, like, learn more about the Infinity Train with Tulip or alongside Tulip as a passenger. Uh, so that was kind of dope. Um, and then you had the Corgi, the aforementioned Corgi, who is uh, the king of Corgi's uh, cute dog, but... The Corgi, the Corgi is pretty cool. Uh, I think it was really cool where one of my favorite episodes was actually when the Corgi met the turtle. <laughs> and it's a it's a really cute episode, but I think it had a lot of, like, separate connotations besides that, too. I think, like, the fact that, like, two different races were able to coexist, which we'll see later in season two. And then you see this idea of, like, yeah, like, bonds can be formed and, like, friendship is a thing and, like, stuff like that. And, like... Just because you're one race, it doesn't mean you can't be friends with another race. And I think that's that's a really important callback. And it's going to be even more important come season three, where they really, really grind out that topic. Um, especially given the ideas of, like, racism and racial equality and, like, racial equality and stuff like that, which is incredible. And the way they portray that in a, in literally, like, a quote-unquote children's show, which really this isn't, like, is kind of crazy. So... That's a, that's a big one that kind of happened, I think, in season one with the Corgi. Um, and then you have the cat. The cat plays a pretty pivotal role in all four seasons. She's, uh, she's a cat. Like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. Like, she's both, like, sly, secretive, mysterious, but also has that, like, cat-like affectionate side to her, but, like, very selfish, very self-entitled. Um, pretty interesting character. A uh, very important character, I think, that... Uh, with uh, of, of the four seasons which one of the things that i think i personally am gonna be really sad about is we never got to explore her backstory more we know very very little if anything about her and the four seasons that were given of her but we know nothing about the cat so it's pretty cool but yeah those are the four main characters uh of the tv show um first season <laughs> the first season specifically yes uh, I guess um, you we didn't we did leave out Amelia, which is technically the f- the real false conductor. Yeah, but like I I wanted to touch upon her in season two because that's when she becomes like important, like season two, season three. 
Season three specifically is when it becomes really important. Season so like, yeah, she's such a cool character. Man. Yeah, she's like she, you really get to learn about her in season three. Her backstory is really sad though, and I think it's also really relatable, right? She lost someone she loved, like no, like she at least she lost someone she loved. I mean, like at the end of the day, I feel like so many people in the world can relate to that to some extent. And she was driven by grief to try to recreate that her lost love, right, or her magic, or like whatever she lost, she wanted back. And to some extent, I think everyone, no matter what, can kind of relate to that feeling of, like, wanting something you've lost back, right? Whether it be your childhood, whether it be, like, a loved one, whether it be something. I mean, we, we all want something. So I think um, she's a really good character. Yeah. Overall. We do not know how she usurped the entire train from 1-1. One, one. Uh, we do get a good... We get glimpses in, in season four back. Um. Well, okay, so briefly, every season, uh, one through three, right? We follow Tulip, and then season two, we follow a character that was introduced in season one, and as they continue their story throughout the Infinity Train. And then we follow someone that was introduced in season two, in season three, and then season four, we go to the past, but there's a character, Emilia, and one one who are still there. So the series is very, very smart in how they introduce new seasons. It's very continuous. I know. It's continuous, but, like, there's a level of connectivity between... It, it, the, the train itself is a character in, in this universe, like, by far. In addition to a setting, it's very common for, like, for it to have a, a giant, like, overarching metaphor for Infinity Train. I mean, it's in, the, it's in the name, Infinity Train. It goes on forever, just like the Maiden Abyss, for example. The Abyss itself is a beast that just needs needs something. We're not too sure, because it's always trying to, like, get people to dig farther farther into the um into the Abyss, well, into the hole. And then Tower of God, there's like something at the top of the at the tower that people are just trying to reach. And Infinity Train is like the you know an abyss. You're just descending more and more, and that usually when you descend into something, you like like it's using and connotated with like madness or some or you losing your sanity or whatnot, which is which goes in line with what <laughs> what a theme in um, Made in Abyss that suffering just begets more suffering. It just doesn't end. In Tower of God, you're ascending something. You're sh- sort of trying to become more more of what you were before but in infinity train you continue on within the train until well you're able to be a passenger until your death pretty much there's like and the only way to get out of the uh, out of the cycle is to grow as a person to not be the same person that you were as when you enter the cycle which is why amelia herself is it's, it's crazy but the, the fact that amelia couldn't leave was because she refused to acknowledge she refused to accept a, a reality where she didn't have her loved one and seeing, and she's a very capable person. She's like insanely intelligent. Um, she's not as smart as she could. Like she's not as smart to the point where she can like develop all of. Okay, so the deal with Infinity Train is that it's a sci-fi fantasy to the point where like the technology pretty much feels like magic because of how out there it is. And Emilia sees this, and she's like a very uh, capable engineer, and and like in the universe outside of the train, right outside of the pocket dimension, the train like just exists in. Um, and she sees this technology and she's thinking, so you can pretty much do whatever you, you can pretty much do anything. <laughs> and then one, one in season four responds with, oh uh, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> which is uh, pretty, pretty interesting because it was at that point that Emilia and her future was just set in stone. Her conviction was not going to stop there. If, if she can, if she, if she sees, if she can replicate what she's seen in these different trains and use that to her advantage, she, she she's not going to stop. Nothing's gonna stop her from being able to do what she can, um, and if you know she might not be able to go from ground zero and up, but she but she can reverse engineer what she sees 
what she can do. And, and you know, we see some of the repercussions in season three later on. And her story, we don't, it's not completed yet, but I can see that Amelia was going to have some kind of conclusion. We don't know what was what it was going to be. Um, but she might have even regressed. I can actually see Amelia as a character regressing as a person, just unable to, like, continue on. Which, like, the show has gone into these kind of ideas that some people just probably are not going to, just not going to move forward. And I think that's uh, that's something that happens in season three, which Nikita's probably going to touch up on. Uh, but yeah, season one has one of my favorite, my, probably my category two. Like, I, there's like dialogue within, within these within these seasons that I just think is insane. And season two is my favorite dialogue with the um, with agent with one of the agents that is following a protagonist. And it's a very meta meta analysis or meta critique of like what this what the protagonist of season two is trying to do, which I really thought was creepy. But season one has this really ominous situation with Amelia talking to Tulip once um the once she the Cory kind of dies, if you remember that. Yeah, kind of dies, kind of just changes into a really disgusting bug, and then yeah, it's changed back to a corgi. So it's a little bit of both. Yeah, but there was this um line of dialogue that Amelia had with um Tulip that really made me realize like this is a this is cat the, the demographic for this is supposed to be children but even I'm getting chills for for what Amelia is saying to um Tulip um I I don't remember the contents and something that I wanted to do I I did look up the dialogue between um between um Lake and um one of the agents that's following her later on because I remember that that was one of my favorite dialogues in the series so right before we entered this booth but I forgot to look up the dialogue between what Emilia and Tulip had when she killed the dog. Uh, I mean, like you're, once if you do get around to watching it, I think it. I think you might, you know, whoever's listening to this might be able to see what I'm talking about. But something about that dialogue, I remember from memory, it just really filled me with something else. But I guess um, so like at the end of season one, we we learned that the car exists to help people deal with their trauma. Um, the number goes up as you're regressing and you're not like you're running away effectively from your trauma uh, and that in- increases right it's something that Tulip didn't understand and something that was really smart and really intelligent by Tulip is that and it shows a lot of her character was that the number itself could be a chain to people's progression because like you're trying it's a it goes back to motivation right if you're intrinsically motivated for something you're you're like you're continuing to do it but some people might be motivated by the number going down which would actually work as a deter- deterrent keeping them from like progressing outside of the train so always keeping them locked into the train it works as a chain and as well it's and it's meant to only be like an advanced algorithm that's able to just read people into and because like it reads people and it's trying to get them to a certain point where they're just like mentally more um fulfilled i would imagine and as they continue to like work through that trauma and once it hits zero they can actually leave the train forever or i would imagine forever i'm not too sure if passengers have ever like returned to the train again I would imagine that that might have been something that the creators might um, might have, you know, maybe discuss or might have been the theme of one of the um, one of the next seasons, for example, uh, a returning passenger. Uh, season four deals with the fact that you can have passengers come in together at once if they have like if their traumas deals with one another, right? If they're very if their histories are very intertwined, mm. um, but you know that's some that's something that's like up for debate. Like, hey, can can a passenger return to the train once they leave? I would imagine yes, which would have been interesting to see a returning character. Uh, probably Tulip, I would imagine, considering that Tulip was the one that introduced the series. 
and maybe Tulip as they're a bit older. Who knows? Where I'm not too sure how time works in Infinity Train. I think that it's a one-to-one ratio with like your time spent in the train with the outside. But I'm not. I think I think that's how it works. From if I remember season two, in particular, because the person in season two was missing for a couple of days. And same thing with Tulip. But I would imagine that I guess uh, at that point now we can move forward. Now that we know like one-one continuous is Rose conducted trying to help people. He is chaotic. Good, I would imagine. Oh, would you classify him as a one-one? Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely categorize him as chaotic. Good. Yeah, I mean he takes people out of like without their consent and just shoves them into a train. So and after that he just leaves him. It's like if you die, you die. If you don't, congratulations, you you dealt with your trauma. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, I guess uh, uh, start start us up with season two, Nikio. So I think it's important to recognize the continuation and the uh, the building upon um, of each season from season one, season two, season three, and season four. You're always going to have different characters that are connected to some extent. Um, even if the character appears for only one episode, that character could be pivotal in the next one. And I think that's what makes this show more unique than a lot of others that I've seen, especially in the animated realm of uh, continuation. And so in this one, we get a girl who is the mirror version of Tulip uh, and another guy. I think his name is Alex. Uh, something like that. I mean, I don't know. No, that's isn't that Alec Dracula. The Alan Dracula is a deer. Okay, so Alan Dracula, which is the other companion, is a deer. <laughs> it's uh, just a weird superpower deer. Let me let me look up the... He's all vibes, dude. He's all vibes. Alan Dracula. I love that deer. But essentially, these three... Um, are trying to find he's trying to find a way off the train the the character we follow in this case he's trying to get off and he like he like hurt his younger brother which is why he got on the train in the first place and you see kind of him realizing the trauma and the pain that he's been through in terms of like what he's put his brothers through the expectations that he's had on himself and other people around him again very relatable stuff like there's a really good quote that I think describes this season and the next season. And honestly, like all of Infinity Train, I think what makes it so unique is that it talks about people from the perspective of being people. Right? I feel like in, in a lot of animated television shows, I think we get carried away with this, especially now that a lot of shows are scared to talk about what, what, like, what makes a person human. But... I think in these shows, it very actively shows the trauma and the abuse and the expectations of like family, friends, et cetera, et cetera, being put on them and not being able to handle it really, really well is really prominent. And it's especially prominent in this season where you have a character who was driven to hurt his own brother because of expectations put on by his friends, um, by his family to some extent, and not knowing how to you know, work with that kind of pressure, um, which is a very real thing, right? So, um, and not understanding, like, who's his friend and who isn't. And someone who, like, wants to be nice to everyone but knows in, like, his heart that he can't. Stuff like that. That's really hard-hitting. But um, that's really the focus of season two, I want to say, um, at least from my perspective. I'm sure there's more about it. Um, there's a few episodes that I really, really liked in season two. 
Um, it's a Jesse, by the way. His name is Jesse. Jesse, yeah. I have a lot to say about uh, Mirror Tulip, quote unquote. I mean, their name is Lake, which is, I mean, the name, the way they name themselves is pretty big. I guess I, I might have a lot to say about season two, but I'll, I'll let you finish up what you were, you were gonna say because you had some favorite um scenes. Yeah, I did. Um, my favorite scene I think in the whole show was when Mirror Tulip was trying to get her number, and she couldn't, and she didn't understand what was wrong with her. I thought it was a really powerful moment, right? Um, more than anything, I think it was like super powerful because like she was trying to become normal. She was just trying to become human. She was just trying to figure out life and she couldn't even get a number because she was different innately and she was trying to figure out why that was the case. So that was a really powerful moment for like that reason and a lot of other reasons. But I mean, Lake went through a lot to get to that point and yeah. like... I actually thought it was impossible to get a number. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and the show does a good job at just letting you realize Tulip is probably not going to get numbered the way she, that they're going at it. And I love how, at the end, how it was resolved with one one's chaotic good nature. And he's like, you need a number? Okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Why not? And I, I love I love that about one one. He just, if he can do something to help someone, he does it. Um, regardless of the consequences that might have for the fact that it's a it's a it's a metal person. That's a person made out of metal that's gonna be living in, in our tech, like in, well, in our universe. I, I would imagine not in the pocket dimension. That just has a ton of repercussions. But something that I did wanted to mention, like with Jesse's fact, the fact that he doesn't, he has a lot of um, a need to be felt included, or to, there's something about him that just, and he can't figure out who he's his friend. But the uh, I would imagine for me season. I, I like season two a lot, um, and it it's actually a very uh, queer. I mean, Lake is a queer coded, and the entire season is a very queer coded season. Um, Tulip, not Tulip. Lake is non-binary for one. They find a way to like bring themselves, uh, you know, to find an identity in themselves. The name thing is very big, especially when um, Chrome at something I forget. There's something to Jesse like at first because he's a big fan of like giving people names. I mean, he gave Alan Dracula name, which is a good, great name. Uh, but um, Lake does make a good point that hey, maybe you shouldn't, you should name them what they want to be named. Maybe Alan Dracula doesn't want to be named that. Uh, Alan Dracula was just all vibes. He was just going on with it. And it was no ill intent. But uh, Tulip also made a good point of saying, I don't. That's not my name, and I'm not responding to it, which is very very prominent another another essential scene that i didn't realize what it represented because one i'm not i i mean there's probably an, an appropriate name for this and it's probably like um do you remember when lake was talking about who tulip was to jesse yeah it's like tulip was my friend who you know and then all of these things that like tulip was but it's not technically her right because um lake is a reflection a, a mirror person of tulip but in a, in a different context right it's a very queer coded um it's a very queer coded dialogue between those two and it's another way of saying and there's probably an appropriate term for this for how you know folks in the lgbt community especially those who are realizing that they like might not assign them you know they're non-binary and like the person that they were before when they referred to themselves as he she or whatever they're not technically who they are now so there was a lot of intimacy and i actually love the fact that um that lake referred to tulip as a friend and I didn't realize what, you know, that might have been in the metacontextual aspect of the entire, of, of that entire scene. But um, me, it's, it, it's, it's queer coded. So like, probably I didn't see it automatically, right? Because I, I identify as a, yeah, a very cis male situation. So like, of course I was blind to it, but like, 
I'm going I'm to let you know right now that the emotions really got through with me. The fact that there was a level of intimacy with a person that before she had a very antagonistic relationship, especially in season one. I mean, in season one, once a uh, mirror tulip got out, they were going to bail on tulip or back then they were mirror tulip. I mean, they're late now, right? Once, once at the end of season two, but they were going to just leave tulip right there in the cart for like, for that, for the cards, uh, particular task or particular, um, whatever, you know, uh, riddle that needs to be, you know, answered, like responded to before they can move on. They were 100% going to leave them because they just want to leave what they were behind because that's not who they are. That's not who they feel they are. Uh, eventually, they, they're able to like build a good relationship because they know that they, they're like parts of a whole. And the relation, then the talk that that um, Lake had with Jesse really just spoke volumes to me, even without me realizing that it's a, it can be recontextualized into something entirely different, which now looking back into it, I just think, well, this is this is insane. I can't believe this is actually in a children's show. And it's, an, it's, a, it's a great message just overall, just to be able to just deal with who you were in the past and just come to terms with it and accept it as yourself and not in a negative aspect if anything it was a very positive it's like this is my friend there was a bunch of these different things but they weren't me um and this is who i am this is why this is how i got here which is a very difficult thing for you know lake to discuss with jesse um i think uh, that's what i have to say about that's that's technically not my favorite dialogue piece my my favorite dialogue piece actually comes later on when they're when the people from the mirror world are trying to capture um, Lake and get them back there because technically she doesn't belong where she is right now. Um, and that that one comes for the fact that she exists only for the purpose of serving someone else, which is a very metacritic thing that goes that goes into the fact that one one creates these trains to help people from our universe effectively. And he doesn't or what one one doesn't care about the denizens of these trains. They just exist for one purpose. And that's to help people get through their trauma. What you are, what your opinions are, what your goals are, they do not matter to one one. You, you exist only for that one reason and one reason alone. And here you have Lake who's trying, you know, their, their best to get out of the train. And there's and, and, and these shows with similar premises, right? For example, with Made in Abyss, Tower of God, there's people who want to continue with the adventure, right? But there's always a character that wants to just leave this place. In Tower of God, you have a character that's going to be, if the enemy ever gets introduced, it's in, it's in season two. It's a very powerful character. It's an irregular. And this is a definition of why people are afraid of irregulars, because this person 50 years ago came into the tower and completely decimated the tower. Climbed the tower in an, in an unsurreal time with their immense like influence and power um, to the point that whenever someone speaks of an irregular, they think of, Who's of this person, and they and it's brought with fear. That's why a lot of people see Bam. They see an irre- they hear irregular. They're like terrified. But this person doesn't care about anything about the tower. They just want to leave. And similar to Made in Abyss, Made in Abyss probably has Rag, for example, Rag who came from the Abyss and came outside of it. They lost their memories. But I, in my crackpot theory, and I guess this is spoilers for Made in Abyss. In my crackpot theory, they wanted to just leave. Rag wanted to leave the Abyss, right? And it's got it's gonna be very unfortunate at the end of Made in the Abyss once they hit the bottom when they when they actually hit the end of the abyss that they're probably gonna get their memories back and they're gonna realize why am I back here I wanted to leave this place and yet I'm I'm here again so there's always and it's a very there's something thematic and just really smart about having someone who wants to leave a place that's almost of a never-ending journey and like and and I'm glad that we we're able to follow Lake as they're trying to just leave this place 
because it's not technically at home. It's it's a prison to them, and they just don't like having these chains around them. Uh, I'm a big fan of um, Lake's character in general. If you haven't noticed, Nikhil, I think I think they're great. Season two was a good season. Yeah, I don't think any season of Infinity Train was a miss. So it was a good season. Yeah, I mean there was a couple of dialogues uh, between Lake that I was like, oh my god, really? And that had, but that actually has more to do with the fact that um. I guess it goes back to the naming aspect because I, I find a lot of meaning behind names. I think they're they're like something filled with love and power. And I guess, you know, me and her share this aspect. But like, I don't know. I guess it was in the beginning when they were like, do not refer to me as this name. And I'm like, okay, then what, what should they refer to you? Like this person also wants to know. That goes back to the fact that I like, I like a level of accountability to something. And that's why I would have a difficult time ever like letting go of my name. But it's not the fact that like, it's not the fact that Lake was trying to like avoid accountability. It's just that something that I was like projecting onto onto this character at first, which is something that I ended up thinking, oh, I don't know if I like this character much. I mean, they're really cool. I love their introduction in season one. I love what they did in the beginning of season two. They had a complete makeover. That was really cool. But I don't know about this dialogue they're having. I mean, eventually I realized where they were coming from. So I just, I was just full of shit. In fact, pretty much. I got you. I got you. What did you think about the two people who were chasing them? I think that, you know, the, the cops pretty much. They were cops. Um, that dialogue was really good, though, in general. The dialogue at the end of, like, when one of them died, one of them, like, died, fell off the train and effectively died, um, was kind of interesting. Um, and their whole idea of, like, you don't belong here, right? I think that fits in really well with her character. I mean, this is going back to, like, the whole queer thing that you were talking about as well as, like, the idea of who she like is right like imagine being told like you do not belong in this world like again and again and again that's crazy and so she had to deal with that on top of like running from and dealing with all these problems that she's had to go through on the train as someone who apparently according to the cops doesn't belong so yeah that's a lot of those characters weren't bad though I mean I, I really I think they're they're not villains. They're just really well-written characters in general. And the person ended up living was the one who was more laid back in the situation. Who was more, who initially you, when, you know, they spoke, they were like very open to just, you know, trying to work things out, trying to, hey, trying to explain why you need to come back. And it was at the moment that you know, their partner died and got murdered by Lake that they said, all right, you know what? Screw protocol. You're dead. I'm killing you. Like, I don't care what happens anymore. You just, you don't. We're done here. Like, even if you didn't belong, even if you do belong out there, this is between me and you now. And the lines that the person said was were insane. I, I remember that Jesse's portal opened, right? But Jesse refused to leave the portal if Lake didn't come with him. And he responded with like, you have a problem? I have a solution. You can't leave. She's not here. And he's going to straight up murder her. He's like, well, then you can leave if, if I kill her. <laughs> Which was, it's, it's crazy. I mean, both of these characters end, end, end up just getting deleted and just killed. The show doesn't have a problem with just killing off your characters, which is a very, it's impressive. Oh, uh, yeah. See that in season three. See that in season three. In season four, I feel that they take a step back on that. Maybe they got told by some executives, hey, how about you don't kill so many people? <laughs> because there's a character that should have died pretty much three times. And for comedic, probably it, it might be comedic relief. Or it might be a comedic aspect to it that they decided not to kill this character. Because the character wasn't important. It wasn't important. So it wasn't, her, their death wasn't necessary, right? Maybe... Maybe I'm looking too deep into it. Maybe there's nothing there to say that the executives told them chill with the death. Maybe there is. We don't know. 
good enough. It's just something. It's an observation, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I guess you can probably like run off the season, uh, what you probably remember best about it, or something you want to comment on what I said for season two. Yeah. Um, I think you kind of hit on all the points. Honestly, I don't really know what else to talk about here. I think season two was a good season. Um, it wasn't my favorite, but by no means was it bad. Um, it was a, it was a really good season. I think we got a lot more like growth within all the, like the characters that we were shown. Um, it was different because in season one, you, I don't know about the viewers and you, Francisco, but I grew really attached to Tulip, so I was really sad to see her go. So it was really unique for me to kind of grapple with this idea of like seeing someone new now and following someone new for the next episodes. Um, and so that was kind of cool. We got introduced to the Apex, which are huge in season three. Um, and so we saw a lot of like different stuff kind of happen. And then we saw Tulip kind of figuring her herself out or themselves out as a character um, throughout the throughout this season and uh, towards the end. Uh, we see Tulip get reunited with Jess and Jess's world with the deer, and it's a good moment. Um, I guess the most impactful moment of that one is that something that we lost over, right? It's the fact that Lake comes from the mirror of dimension or whatever. So whenever they see something reflective, the police can come out of that like reflection and then take yeah, them she back. She keeps blocking the reflections, like she yeah. can't see herself. Which is uh, probably another queer coded thing, right? The fact that you know they can't see themselves yet. Because they can't see who they are, because that's not how they see themselves, though, in yeah. a way. Uh, there's, there's a lot of symbolism behind this season, too. Yeah. But, um. Very symbolic heavy. Yeah, yeah. And then the fact that the, she names themselves, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lake late names themselves after the first reflective object that isn't hostile towards them, which is, you know, a lake, which is the water within the lake. When she, when she looks at her, at themselves there, nothing happens mm-hmm. so they're like you know what lake call me lake which is a very i don't know, I don't know if that's common or not uh but it's something mm-hmm. it's it's great now now they're probably gonna have to deal with the fact that someone who's made out of metals entirely i would imagine is able to live just inherently live in a place where you would imagine it's not possible yeah i wonder how they're gonna mm. it'd be really interesting if they ever address that again or if she ever came back but again the the show ended for now so we might not know for some time yeah so that's, that's good. so yeah so, so I, I, this is another thing about these never-ending story things which i think is genius it takes a book from something like uh doctor right Doc, doctor who mm-hmm. and the fact that it's an anthology series and like you make a premise and then you can always get new uh, new writers who have like these different experiences throughout their life and just have them write about it within the premise of of this universe because the the, the um what are what are those things called like the train the train sections i would imagine whatever cards the train cards house like a different entire like a different pocket dimension pretty much they can have a bunch of these the limitations are only there the limit there there are no limitations pretty much you can have anything in these pocket dimensions um from like a western style anthropod anthropomorphic people living in there to an entire place of corgis for example how you, you mentioned it so like and these are all exist in a way that they can serve as challenges to help the passengers move on 
So the limitations for these different stories are dependent on the writers themselves and like what they want to bring up. They take the the book from the doc from Doctor Who is that the fact that the Doctor can rotate without and they can grow with within the audience because I mean Doctor Who had a reboot writing and it's something that we probably like touched up on the um, Great Pretender podcast that we had. This idea that there was a premise made and it's made in a way that you can keep writing stories about it as long as you just you can think and you have something to say. And Infinity Train had that had had that for itself, which I think is a big aspect for those people who are really interested in the lore and stuff like that. And I think that's a that's a that's a really genius aspect of the creator and how they wanted to to write something for people to come on board and tell their story. And I think that 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 has that's a big reason on why it's so successful and why these different seasons hit hit so hard because the creator well, Owen didn't limit themselves to one track story right it just provided a premise and it said please provide me with with your potential for this story of mine and Owen pro- is probably involved more with the lower stuff right the, the thing behind the conductor probably Amelia I would imagine is something that Owen is is definitely involved with especially because Amelia is the, re- the recurring character throughout the entire series so far that we've seen yeah <laughs> I think I think it's summarized really well I don't even know what I can add to that I mean probably season 3 now ooh you want to go to season 3 that's you dude alright well season 3 by far my favorite season uh, for a lot of reasons which I'll get into now but it follows four main characters here you have Tulip or not I'm sorry I keep thinking of the last season uh, you have Simon you have Hazel you have Tuba and you have Grace. Now, Grace and Simon's relationship is, I think, kind of interesting because the first thing I want to touch upon, and so we we when we first open in season three, it starts with the Apex, which prominent group we saw in season two. Uh, they were mentioned. We saw them, um, but they're essentially a band of kids and two like. I think teenagers are like 16, right? Yeah, they're around there. They're pretty, they're, they're, they're on the older teenager side. Um, they leave, they lead a group of kids, uh, and call themselves the apex and their goal is to get the highest number. Now season two, as Francisco mentioned, there's beauty in wanting to leave, right? Now the juxtaposition is what if you want to stay? Um, what if you want to stay in something that's infinite? And that's where the apex comes in. And that's where Grace and Simon's story comes in. I think it's really interesting. Grace and Simon, I think, are really, really interesting characters because instead of wanting to face their problems head on, they want to run away from them. They never truly admit it, I think. Um, Simon specifically. Um, he's blinded by his like hatred, uh, rage, grief, etc., etc. Um and Grace is able, through Hazel, able to find, like, solace in the fact that, wow, like, I'm completely wrong and I have to improve myself as a person and human being. Now, the first thing I want to touch upon in Season 3, I think, is the the relationship of, like, between Grace and Simon. You see in the first episode that they work really well together. Like, really well together. And they've known each other since they were kids, so they've been on this train for about uh, several years at this point. We know that Simon's parents never really cared about him, and we know that Grace's parents were also not the biggest fans, except 
we do see that later on in the season, Grace's dad actively fights for her. But you see that she's like from like upper class, like really high end, high snob society. Whereas Simon isn't. Um, and when Simon is given power, when he's given in when he's given all of this, you see him kind of turn cheek and turn into not a great person, I think is an interesting point. But um, Simon is blinded by less of hatred and more this idea of racism that's been shoved down his throat for years, and he refuses to acknowledge that he's wrong. Um, and by racism, I straight up mean racism. Like, he, he is predominantly against any other race that is not human. He, like, is very, he's very, like, even even if they're like like quote unquote people, like he doesn't see them as people. Um, Hazel and Tuba are huge examples of this. Tuba lost her family, um, and Simon ended up killing her. And then Hazel also is like a girl who can turn into like a bird turtle thingy, and Simon ends ends up trying to abandon her as well. So you see Simon kind of get trapped in this idea of like these very racist notions because he's been forced to kind of grow up that way. And I also and this this might be getting this might be reaching a little bit and I don't know if the writers really intended for this to be the case, but I think it's interesting that Simon is a white male and he's the one that that this is happening to. Uh obviously this is kind of this is a little controversial and I apologize in advance for it, but I do find it interesting that the authors and writers or the writers of the show chose to, chose to take that method. But then on the other side, you have Grace, who is a black woman who is understanding and actually has empathy and cares. And like literally towards the end of the show, she's like, oh, my God, like I screwed up really, really badly when Simon inadvertently dies because of his actions. So and then she's like okay, I have to become a better person. I can't be racist. I can't be a prick. I have to, I, I actually have to understand what I'm doing wrong and kind of face my actions and face the consequences of my actions. One of the most prominent themes within Infinity Train, in my opinion, is this idea of change, right? This idea of change in terms of like personal and professional growth or whatever it is, but emotional as well and facing trauma head on. We see grace kind of coming from a family of like aristocrats but also from a family of like abuse and neglect and i think that adds up right season three really is really personifies this idea of humans being humans and like people being people it's not about like an ideal that we're trying to chase i think season three perfectly exemplifies what it means to be a person and how to face that trauma and what that trauma kind of does to you. And we see that in like a lot of, in four different characters. We see that in Hazel, we see that in Tuba, we see that in Grace, we see that in Simon. Each of them represent a type of person that potentially could be an outcome of what they're, or a product of trauma that they've gone through. And we see them go through four different things or four different walks of life. And I think that's beautiful in a lot of ways. I think it's incredible and that's why I think season three is like in my opinion the best season and my favorite season because we see so many different ways that it can be interpreted and like what can happen um and they've all been given this opportunity and they've been faced with 
this like trauma and fear and anger and all that in their lives and how they chose to go down the path that they chose, I think sells a lot about them as characters. Tuba was one character that really hit home, right? Cause she, Tuba lost her entire family, her kids. And, uh, it was kind of unexplained why. And then she ended up adopting Hazel and as a result, like found a purpose in life, but then Simon kills her, uh, as we see uh, in episode six, I think, which is a really dark episode and Simon very hated character for that reason. But Simon himself was such a broken character. He was like, as soon as he hit the train, like he was struggling to grapple with this idea of trust, right? As soon as he got to the train, the cat, the cat betrayed him. So he lost, he lost his only parental figure. And then he joined the apex and then he was instilled with these like really screwed up values that weren't correct. And then he chose to run with them. And then when Grace says, hey, tells Hazel, don't, don't tell, don't tell Simon any of this. Like, don't trust him. Like, that's got to kill him because his whole thing was like the reason I'm here and the reason I'm with Grace, Simon, et cetera, et cetera, or Grace, Tuba, whatever, is because I, I trust Grace. Right. He trusted the apex. He trusted Grace, more importantly. And Grace was an old like. Grace was a love interest. It was very obvious that Grace and Simon, Simon was into Grace to some extent. Grace was likewise into Simon to some extent. What They never really capitalized on that, and I'm kind of glad they didn't. But it was very obvious that they were into each other. Um, they just never said anything. And so when the person you care about the most betrays that trust, I think that kind of pushes you over the edge. And for Simon, towards the end of the show, you see his entire body is covered with numbers. Cause he screwed up that bad and there was no, there was literally no coming back from that. Like every, even as a viewer, you knew there was no coming back from what he did. He's killed multiple people. Like that's screwed up. And so his death was very justified. Um, and at least you felt justified. Right. But then you see Grace going back to the apex and she's super somber and she's like, we have to change our ways. And you kind of understand that Simon was just a product of the path that he chose and the trauma that he's been, he's been through. At the end of the day, everyone, everyone in this world is faced with some sort of trauma, right? Or the demons that you're battling inside. I think I'm, no one is truly perfectly happy. That just doesn't exist. But everyone is facing some sort of battles within themselves, some sort of demons, right? How you choose to move on from those demons or deal with those demons and deal with that battle is totally independent. Those are choices that each person makes that no one but yourself can dictate. I think in season three, it exemplifies that to the T. I have been going to therapy and in therapy, this is one of the things that I talk about a lot without getting too personal. The idea of choices and the fact that everyone has a choice in their life about what they want to do and how they want to approach certain things based on the things that they've been through. I strongly believe that in Infinity Train Season 3, every single one of those characters, those four main characters, they were all given a choice of how they wanted to move on. They all made their choices in different ways. Simon was the extreme. Simon was the version of, I have no way to come back from this. I need to just go like full sail this, right? Um, Grace was someone who understood the repercussions of her actions and was like, okay, I screwed up. How do I make it better? What can I do to change it? And at the end, we see her go to the apex and be like, I, we need to change. This is unacceptable. Tuba was one of grief. We see her move on from like her family who literally passed away 
and see her attempt to form a new family within her and Hazel. And I think it's beautiful. Um, and Hazel was someone who didn't know who she was, right? With her changing and like her body changing, um, she didn't know who she was as a person, as an as as a thing. She doesn't know who she was, what she was. She didn't know the product of like why she existed. And it was her kind of discovering that idea of change and like what that meant to her and the choices she made after that. And I think season three was so good because it was about change. It was about choices and it was about facing that facing that trauma with choices. Right. Or taking that trauma and understanding like the choices that you have and that follow because of it. Season three also touches on racism really actively when you see the apex like pretty much say that everything that's not human is worth much less. They're created by the creator when in reality they are things or they are beings within this world. By harming them, you are doing active harm and you're act- actively having repercussions within the world of the Infinity Train. Um, and once again, it bo- like I think what makes season three so special is it boils down to the idea of people being people. Like it's so human. I think it's the most human season out of all of them. I think like they're, they're dealing with things that I think everyone and anyone can relate to in terms of loss, in terms of depression, in terms of anxiety, in terms of racism, in terms of like, in terms of things that are actually happening in this world. They've very actively dealt with all of that in season three. Um, and it was very outward. Right. And I think that's so beautiful. Um, and I think it's something that's so relatable to like so many people. I think everyone, honestly, and in such a, it's, it's a season that really just hits hard. Um, you watch that and you can't help feel like so bad for like Tuba. You can't help feel so sorry for Grace. You can't help but feel pity for Simon and you can't help but feel like hopeful, but scared for Hazel. Like, I think, I think it's just crazy that you can invoke all those different emotions and you see all these characters that make these active choices to change their life based on the demons and trauma that they felt or been through in their life. And, uh, I don't know. That's sorry. That's a huge, that was a huge rant, but I think that's really what to me makes season three so special. Cause I think, again, it just boils down to the fact that people are being people and every character is so human that you can see yourself in them to some, to some extent. Right. And yeah, I mean, if I think of more things to say about season three, I mean, I'll say it, but that's why I like season three so much. Um, if you want to add anything to that, Francisco, I mean, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> definitely with you, with the fact that, you know, sympathizing for the enemy, I mean, in particular, I would imagine Simon, but he's a character who, who, who he committed. I mean, you have to respect that he committed to the role that he wanted to play, which was kind of just... I don't know. I don't, I'm not even too sure if he saw himself as the bad guy, right? Because let's go back to the fact that, like, why did these people think that increasing the number was good, right? It's, it's It all goes to the fact that they had incorrect information, and they got that information incorrectly by Grace. I'm not Grace. Uh, Amelia. And let, let's not forget that they're, they were brought into the train when they were kids. They're effectively still children. They didn't have anyone that could guide them or, like, teach them anything. They just had themselves. So there's a level of codependence between Grace and Simon that just led to this toxic response from Simon when he realized that Grace was changing, was changing in a way that he just couldn't comprehend. And he knew that if she continued to change, 
she might just leave him. And like you mentioned, he has he has an issue with trust, and he just couldn't at at that moment at at that moment Simon couldn't understand or he couldn't see himself going with her, right? He couldn't he didn't see himself probably worth worth enough to her to for her to take him, or maybe he just didn't feel like he could change. So he committed to this idea of like them us mentality, and the fact and this was brought about by information, right? The reason why they thought the numbers increasing was so was such a good thing was that. They were quote unquote saved by Amelia back when she back when she like usurped the train and she became the conductor and she was collecting all of these th- different parts to create her her pocket adventure with her loved one. Which goes to it, they think they saved her, but like when we learn when you know this season three does have a lot of aspects to the lore, right? Every season adds to the lore of the train and the limitations of the train. Season three actually opened. A lot of, I mean, after season one, I kind of felt like maybe we hit the limits of the train, right? Maybe it's just magical. But they add a, the, the detail. The detail is what they really bring bring to life, like how massive and how well thought out the intricacies of the train are. And in particular, like how how creepy the sci-fi element could actually be. If you remember correctly, how, how they got memories from people. They like went into their brains and then they like gooped something out of it. The point is, when they saw the, the memories of themselves back in the day, when they thought that the conductor, quote-unquote, the conductor saved them, they noticed that the, the conductor had, like, a ton of numbers. So, like, the condu- conductor saved them. That's uh, that's That was good in their eyes, right? Because, you know, they can live another day. So if the, if the number, if they don't know if the number goes up or down, because this is the point where Amelia took care of the train, they came to the conclusion that the correct the correct way for the number or the correct response of the number is that if it goes up, you're doing something right. And it went up when, and it, it was a positive feedback loop, right? Um, Simon, and this is a, it's a product of his environment. It's a almost systemic, systemic in a way. Um, the number went up. He saw a person that saved him. They had an insanely, really big number. And as he continued this, this us, them mentality, and he treated the denizens with disrespect, um, just, decimated their their property the number kept going up and as the number goes up it provides them like competence in their skill right i mean they're children they're trying to just like fit into wherever they are and unfortunately they're never going to be able to leave the train as far as they know um and it's just simon is a very devastating character to say the least and amelia is a very interesting character for her actions and how like different repercussions have throughout the entire train and of the different passengers this like section of time where Emilia was the conductor had a ton of repercussions for many characters that we were probably going to meet in later seasons. Emilia, for example, we learned that was it what what was the um, what was the kid's name again? Uh, uh, Tulip and Hazel or Hazel? Yes, Hazel is a byproduct of of Emilia's work. So Emilia during season three, um, one one. <laughs> One one recruited her as a technical IT person to just help him fix the messes that she made. And one of those messes, quote unquote messes, was a kid. And she later learns that the kid is a byproduct of what she was doing because she can turn into a turtle. And the cart that she was making, she always couldn't make people just right. They just turned out to be turtles. And the person is a combination of her and the memories of her loved one. In a way, it's her kid, but we don't know how Emilio is going to respond to that. We do learn that. Oh, dang. What's the kid's name again? I keep forgetting. It's been a while. 
Oh, Hazel? Yeah, I keep forgetting Hazel. <laughs> anyway, Hazel was given an opportunity to stay with Grace, and Hazel gave her her response, no. By the way, um, that's a really important point in the show because that's when she first makes her own choice to say no. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if it's super obvious, but, like, in each of... So, before, right? It was, like, Tuba... And if Tuba said yes, like she was willing, people could easily coerce her, et cetera, et cetera. That was the first time she made her own choice and said no. That's huge. That was crazy. Yeah. So very important point. So yeah, in that moment, Amelia said, hey, all right, let's go. We got to go fix stuff or you can come with me. Right. Um, and and Grace was like, please don't go. We can help you or like I, I uh but it was at that moment that she just, she just couldn't trust Grace anymore for like how she just allowed Simon to just do all of these things. And effectively, she's a target for Simon's resentment. She doesn't know when Simon might do what he did to um, Tuba to her, right? Her life is in danger. And even if she has to go with this kind of, I mean, this ominous, kind of ominous character of Amelia, um, you know, they don't know a lot about Amelia. But they know that Amelia is, in a way, affiliated with the train, right? Um, so they decide to go with Amelia. They, they decide to take a path that's very uncertain. Um, but it's pro- it was probably, I mean, lots of people before season four dropped, people were thinking, is it going to follow Amelia right now in the kid? And um, the creators decided not to tell that story just yet, right? They decided to build up a bit on, on um, Infinity Train or in the lore in the universe when in season, in book four, season four or whatever. So we weren't going to see how Amelia story was going to progress with now her pretty much her kid in a way uh if we know if they were going to accept them as a kid that's it's a, that's a different story entirely the kid itself might be a they, they amelia might regress i mean i mentioned this earlier in the episode that seeing amelia the fact that amelia was so close to getting what they wanted might just lead to them being like you know what all i see from you is not a potential future but rather that what i was doing was correct that i can still get my past back so we don't know. That's something that was gonna probably that was definitely gonna be explored with later seasons. And I really like Amelia as a character. That's that's why I really enjoy this season. I mean, I have a difficult time with Grace because I'm not too sold on the character. It might be the fact that like they're not the best of people in, ge- in general. Um, I mean, oh, they're getting I, there. I they're getting there. That. They're good people, but they're just. I mean, her character isn't too interesting for me. They're, because they're still kids. I guess it's probably that's probably it. I mean, I can deal with the kids, but like their mentality is just so it's difficult to deal with for that that them us mentality. And I guess that's why I had. I mean, they're good characters, I mean, but I don't know. I think uh, I think I think Grace was a fantastically written character. I so I, I'd say that because I think like it was very actively shown that she was. I think actually both Grace and Simon were really good characters because like Simon was a character that you saw like was just depreciating based on his the choices of his actions. And you also saw his a little bit of his backstory and history and why he's the way he is. You saw the same thing with Grace, and then you saw her like kind of change because of that, right? So you saw like active character progression and active character change with both of them, both one positive, one negative. I think that makes it really good. I think they're really, really fucking well written characters. Oh, sorry, pardon my language, um, but I just think they were like really, really good character, like really well written characters because of that, because like they. They acted. They like act like it was very obvious that they were changing, but more so, you saw how they interacted with the environment around them as they changed and how they treated others, and it was really cool. It was really cool, and that's like that's what I want. <laughs> that's what I want to see more of. Um, 
and I was really happy with that person. Yeah. I guess it's. I, I probably I didn't. I mean, they're they're good characters. I admit that. Definitely. I just something about them was for me. Grace in particular was like, oh, I can't believe you're still regressing. Continue to regress. I usually have a lot of patience, but I guess in this particular one, it's just something about it that I'm not entirely sure I'm able to like. Oh, do you mean Simon? Because I think Grace became good. No, 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 no. I I don't mean good as in morality. I mean good as in subjectively. Do I like these these people? Oh, okay. Like, which doesn't say anything about like their character. I think the character is just written really well. I think it has more so to do with how I um. I guess I would imagine something about them agitated me, and uh, that might be a reflection of how well their character is written in general, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that was just how. Maybe that's I mean, the Simon, exact response. Simon, Simon Simon's character definitely was supposed to be like that. Yeah. For sure. So if you were like, if you did not like him. You were not supposed to like him. <laughs> yeah. So. At least you're supposed to at least feel sympathy, I would imagine. Hell, Simon broke down at the end once he realized, I can't believe I just killed my friend. Yeah. When he thought he killed Grace right at the end, which was a big character moment, just like you said, it's a choice that the person made. And the choices that Grace made saved her because the denizens, the ones that could fly when she was falling to her death, were there to rescue her. Um, I mean... Grace was going to be a character that was going to most likely appear next because her number was not down to zero. And I don't think that number is going to go down to zero up until Grace feels that what she did in the in the train has been, you know, just regress, right? It's not going to go down. A, a pro- she's probably a caretaker for all of the kids, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And it's she's going to 100% reject reject the gate, even if it's zero, if there's like something that she feels is still missing. Which it's possible. We know that from season one, you can reject your gate once, right? And I think um, one one made a good point. Like once your number hits zero, you can I can spawn you a gate wherever you are. It doesn't matter. Like you you met the conditions. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not set in in, in place, right? Um, so don't worry about it. And I think and you see a you see a bit of that in season four too. The fact that you know people refuse to take the gate just yet, right? Because they still feel like. There's things missing. Even if the algorithm reads that their initial reason for coming to the train has been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's season three for the most part. Great season. Really good season. That's my favorite season. So I think it's S tier. Um, we can go into season four, but we can start with the opening. Um, but I do want to say that for season four, I actually want to leave it to the audience. Um, because I think since this is the last season, I think it's up to interpretation on how it will go. I haven't finished it yet myself, so I can't speak to it completely. But I'll leave it to the viewers. Um, we're also already, well, we have, a, we have a lot of material that we've done. So, but for season four, uh, we follow two characters, two best friends. They grow up together. They drift apart, and then they come back because they uh one of the other characters wants to go on a band trip to New York with him, and he doesn't want to because he got to university, and so. But it's very obvious he doesn't like what he's doing, and so, they hop on the infinity train and follows their story, so it's pretty cool, and it's unprecedented because it's like two people at once, which doesn't normally happen. So chronology it happens in the same moment that Amelia was in the train, and this is like years before the um, years before like book one, right, and years before book two, book three. 
Um, so like, I mean, Amina got old from her flashback into like when we know that she got into the train. She looks like she's on in her in her fifties. Mm-hmm. I would imagine so maybe 30 years that Amelia spent her time in the train her life outside doesn't matter anymore that's yeah. not a life um, so we know that the time for book 4 is the time where you see Amelia trying to call Oryx 1-1 to, to do specific things right because 1-1 the conductor when Amelia was younger and like when she just got into the train uh, one, there was like two events that caused 1-1 to change rules within the, within the train one of the, I mean, how far have you gotten? You have you read? Have you seen both of the events? No. Okay. Have you seen one of the events? No. Oh, not even one. Okay, so she's pretty much coercing one one, and this is. I mean, we don't see the the aspect from like from their side. We just see the repercussions of what the, what's happening. But it's pretty much that it's setting up the um the scenario for the viewer to see how Emilia was able to like take control of the car. Because she's, I mean, she's smart. She's able to, like, convince one one to do something. Because in the end, she's wording in a way that's, like, fitting for his goal, which is, like, to help people. <laughs> which is, this is great. Uh, that, that, that was, that's where Amita comes in for in this, in this season. But um, this is a good series. This is a good series in general. But the season is a good one when we're trying to... And the, let's not forget that something that is mentioned about them is that they're two Asian Canadians. Yes, I like that. That was cool. That was a good, cool. Hey, I don't know if one of them is Asian. I know one of them is for sure Asian. I don't know about the other one. That was unclear, but we can assume. So, there are Ryan, Mingji, or Mingi, and Kez. So that's that's a, the triple the triple characters introduced in this one. And there's a bunch of but a bunch of side ones that aren't too important. Yeah, triple threat. Yeah. It's a good show. It's a good ser- that that's a good season if you're like, you know, you have someone that you you know you're intimate, you're like really close to and having a difficult time, um, with them in your relationship. Uh, you know, there are there are there are good seasons. All right, that's I think that's that's it for now. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, season four will leave to the viewers' discretion. Watch it. Tell us what you think. Actually, uh, we have a Twitter. Um, you should follow us ideally. Uh, at uh, if we haven't plugged it enough yet, uh, you can follow us at uh, anime underscore house. That's capital A, anime underscore house capital H, or you can find her at at anime at anime H U six five seven one seven one five two. Again, that's at anime H U capital H capital A six five seven one seven one five two. We also have a YouTube channel, Anime House. Uh, please check us out. We've uploaded three episodes so far, uh, which is pretty exciting. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Music. You can find us or Google Play. You can find us on anything um, under the name Anime House and or Anime Hub. So you should be able to find us pretty easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, check us out if you have any more things. If we would love to hear from you guys, actually. So if you guys want to tweet at us uh, on Twitter. Uh, maybe just so we can discuss uh, season four a little more extensively. That'd be really cool. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you guys want us to cover, feel free to email us, tweet at us. Um, you can also find us on Reddit. Um, we have a subreddit, r slash anime hub. Uh, check that out. But yeah, I mean, we're here. So definitely uh, keep in touch here. And uh, we'd love to hear what you guys think about season four and uh, Infinity Train as a whole. Yeah, we're just going to cut off here. Sometimes we do a late 
hey, what are we watching? Let's, let's, we are not doing that this time. I, I don't think we'll be doing that at this time, but for the next one, we will. Yeah. Um, we don't really know, I think, exactly what we're going to do next episode, but keep your eyes out for that. That'll be coming out soon. Yeah, videos. All right, everyone, take care. Bye.